Hey, my name's Chris, and I want to welcome you to the well. What I want you to do is welcome each other to the well by saying hi, give each other a hug, a high five, a low five, whatever you want to do, but also make room for people who are here because there's some in the back. We have plenty of seats. You guys can come and sit in here. So go for it. Say hi to each other. Go for it. All right. You guys did awesome with that. Hi, Josh. So I want some of you I know real well. Some of you I'm just getting to know. I'm excited to get, get to know you over the course of the semester. I want to let you know a little bit about me. I grew up in Northbrook, Illinois. I went to Hope College. I've been a pastor at a couple churches, and I've been here as a campus minister for the last 20 and a half years. So I'm in my 21st year at campus ministry. I have a couple nicknames. They call me CP51 because I'm 51 years old. And that's my initials. And the nickname that stuck with me all my life is PETA from my last name, Peters, partly because I'm married to Rita. So it's PETA and Rita. So that's what's going on. My four kids are Brittany, Bryce, Bryn, and Brad. So Brittany's 25, she's the oldest, Brad's the youngest, he's a 7th grader, and boy is he a 7th grader. <laughs> so, what I want to share with you tonight is, to start out with a little story, is, have you ever been in a dead-end situation, or had to go on a detour? A couple years ago, our family went on a trip out to the national parks. And out near Glacier National Park, we were driving our motorhome, which was the motorhome, and then we were towing a car behind that was on all fours, not raised up or anything like that. So while we're driving out there just outside of the park, I turn into some fast food restaurant. I can't remember which one it was. I turn in there, and there's nowhere to go. Didn't quite know where I was, turned in, and I was dead stopped. And when you have a motorhome and you're pulling a car, you cannot back up. It's impossible. So in that moment, I experienced the frustration of a dead end where I had to just sort of sit there. I think I might have said a curse word, not a real bad one. Um, and I had to get out, and I had to unhook the car and undo all the cables and park the car over there, back up the motorhome, turn around, hook it all back up. Huge process, and realize in that moment how frustrating a dead-end spot can be and how much effort it can take to sort of control your emotions in one of those moments. What we're going to do tonight is talk about those kind of moments a little bit. So what I want to do is just have you turn to somebody next to you just for a moment. Did you ever experience a dead-end moment? If you don't have one, that's okay or a detour? What did you feel like when you had to go on a big detour? Do you have anything like that? So turn, just introduce yourself to somebody next to you. Just say, hey, I'm glad you're here. Talk about it for just a moment. All right. You guys did awesome. I know I probably cut you off. Hopefully you can continue on that. But here's where I, if you're, this is your first time at the well, we're really glad you're here. Let me update you on where we've been. 
we are looking at the Old Testament story of the Exodus. And we're specifically looking at the life of Moses and God's people in the Exodus and saying, what can we learn when we look at Moses' life, the, ex the significant experiences that Moses had? What can we learn as we read about Moses, about Jesus, and how we learn to follow Jesus in our lives? So as Moses and the Hebrew people struggle to follow God and learn about him, how can we learn from their experience, their story, and then put it in our context? What does it mean for us to learn and follow and trust God? So today we're going to continue the story that Scott started last week where God all along in the book of Exodus, all throughout the Bible, is trying to call a people to himself. God wants the Israelite people to be his people, but they were in bondage in Egypt. And so God saw their suffering, their cries for help, their oppressive labor, and God starts the process of calling Moses to enter in as his voice and his workmen in that situation and start to call the people out to challenge Pharaoh and the powers of Egypt to let their slaves go. And last week we learned about all the different plagues and we learned about the final thing that happened, which was when God did the Passover, and all the firstborn males of Egypt died. And finally, after that terrible event, Pharaoh said, I'm going to let them go. And God's people were set free from bondage because they had been marked in the blood, and now they were released by Pharaoh to go out. And what we're going to see is that the story picks up where we pick up in Exodus chapter 13 and 14. And we're going to learn about where God leads them next as they're sort of starting to come out of Egypt. So if you want, you can grab your Bibles, turn in Exodus chapter 13, and we're going to start at verse 17. This is what it says. So when Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them on the road through the Philistine country. This is verse 17. When Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them on the road through the Philistine country, though it was shorter. For God said, if they face war, they might change their minds and return to Egypt. So God led the people around by the desert road towards the Red Sea. And the Israelites went out of Egypt armed for battle. So do you get the picture? The Israelite people have been in bondage for years and years and years, and now they're finally leaving as sort of the beginning of a new nation that God is calling together. They're leaving with some of the spoils of Egypt, and they're walking out, headed towards the Promised Land, and this is what happens. If you put up the map. So Egypt is over here, and the Promised Land of Israel is up here. And the way of the Philistines is along the Great Sea, along the shore. And what God says is, if I send them the shortest way, it's only a two to three week walk, if I send them the shortest way, they're going to face the Philistines, and they're strong, they're mighty, they're going to be facing them in war, and if they have a tough enough time in battle, they're going to want to go back to Egypt. So God starts 
leading his people in a different way. He's leading them by a pillar of fire and a pillar of cloud. <clears throat> a pillar of cloud with Moses is leading. And they start to be led not in the shortest way, but down into the wilderness of Egypt where God's going to train them and teach them about what it means to be in relationship with him and start preparing them for what God wanted to do. But that's hard. When God doesn't lead you in the way that's the shortest, easiest way, that's hard. And here's one connection I want to make. This same thing is true in our life with Jesus. When Jesus starts doing something in your life, He starts releasing you from some of the things that, if you turn to Him and trust in Him, He starts releasing you from things that you may have been in bondage to or have been just struggling with. And as God starts to lead you out, sometimes the way he leads you doesn't always make perfect sense at first. But there's a reason for it. And there's a reason why God leads you in certain ways and doesn't always do what makes logical sense in how he leads you. Now see what the next thing that happens is in our scriptures. Turn with me to verse um, in chapter 14. Verse 5. Exodus chapter 14, verse 5. This is what it says. When the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled, Pharaoh and his officials changed their minds about them and said, What have we done? We have let the Israelites go and have lost their services as slaves. So he had his chariot made ready and took his army with him and he took 600 of the best chariots along with all the other chariots of Egypt with officers over all of them. And the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, so that he pursued the Israelites who were marching out boldly. The Egyptians, all of Pharaoh's horses and chariots and horsemen and troops, pursued the Israelites and overtook them as they camped by the sea near Piharoth, near Baal-Zephon. I'll keep reading. As Pharaoh approached, the Israelites looked up, and there were the Egyptians marching after them. They were terrified, and they cried, cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, Was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us out to the desert to die? What have you done to us, bringing us out of Egypt? Didn't we say to you in Egypt, Leave us alone. Let us serve the Egyptians. It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So one of the things I want to highlight is, is that as the Hebrew people start to walk into their new life, away from the one who is oppressing them, their enemy, Pharaoh, Pharaoh fights back and says, no, I don't want to lose you. I don't want to lose your work and your efforts and things. I'm going to get you back. And isn't the same true in our own life when we start to follow after God and be released from some of the old ways of life and called into a new way of life with God that, he, that our enemy fights back? We have an enemy. We have an evil one. It says in John 10 that the thief comes to steal and to kill and destroy, but that Jesus comes that you might have life and have life to the full. So as Jesus is calling you into this full life, don't be surprised that you have an enemy who is 
wanting to hold you back and call you back into an old way of life. So we see in our scripture how the Hebrews respond. God led them in an unexpected way down into the wilderness, down into that dead end on the map where they couldn't get out. If you put the map up again for me, that would be helpful. There's no way to get out. There's water everywhere there. And they're not quite sure where the crossing point is, but for sure the Israelite people were led down into the wilderness away from the lush Nile Delta, which was all green, out into the hard wilderness for their training school. But first, they have to take care of their old enemy, Pharaoh. But while the Egyptians are fleeing and leaving, Pharaoh pursues. And even though they had seen God do such miraculous things in Egypt, where they were released, now they're in a new place, and very quickly they forget. They take their eyes off of the Lord and they look at their enemy. They look at their problem. And they have this escalating fear. And they start panicking. And they get a distorted reality. They start talking crazy. Hey, maybe we should go back to Egypt and be slaves again rather than be out here and die in the desert. That's crazy. Do you know what it was like to be a slave under Pharaoh? You worked all the time, every day, terrible work, building the pyramids, doing different things, and now God's offering them a way out, and they wanted to go back. But with, this, but with now them led out to the sea, with the sea in, behind them and Pharaoh's, the sea in front of them and Pharaoh's armies behind them, they're in a dead-end moment. They're hopeless and they feel impossibly trapped. And maybe you can identify with that. We get ourselves into places where we're against the wall and we feel like we have no options or a dead-end moment where we can't go forward or can't go back. We just don't know what to do. There's no solution. There's no easy answer. There's no way out. In the case of Israelites, their freedom and their lives were all but lost. Would Pharaoh just slaughter them out there in the desert? They were given a taste of freedom only to be now at risk again. And we can relate to them. Being between the Red Sea behind you and Pharaoh's army on the other side is a hard place to be. It's a scary place to be. And when I think about dead-end uh, dead moments or Red Sea moments, it's hard to see where God's at work when I don't understand what God is doing when I can't see it. When I'm not sure how things are going to work out. So when I get into a dead-end moment, it happens. And in college, just I said this to somebody between services. I said, college is filled with dead-end moments more than any other season of life. Probably college is filled with so many things that are all at play at once. Sometimes it feels... Like there's a lot of places where you get to these moments where you just don't know which way to go. And when I get to that point, or possibly when we get to that point, I'm tempted to question everything, to try and take control myself and figure it out myself, uh, freak out or go back to my old ways and say whatever was happening new 
that's not worth it. I'm going back to my old ways. The Israelites were looking at certain defeat, and the Israelites who had seen God perform astounding miracles, who had provided their freedom, questioned everything about him and everything about their future. So let me describe some modern-day dead-end moments for you and me, perhaps. I asked this of your peers. You know, one of them, it's like when you don't get into your program, like, hey, I am going to be a nurse, and you go through... Nope, Grand Valley says no. Grand Valley says no again. Grand Valley says no again. That's a dead-end moment. I've seen it a lot here at Grand Valley. When you change majors and you don't have another major to replace it. When you've been dating somebody, thinking he or she is the one, and then they tell you you're not the one. That's a hard moment. I had that moment in my junior year of college. When you're prompted to end an unhealthy relationship because of what it's producing in your life, but then you're called out and there's not another person and you're living alone or single, and that's really difficult. It can be a dead-end moment. Or to just never have a relationship, that can be really hard. When everybody else around you is engaged, that can be a really hard moment. When you're short on cash and the bills are big, you're not sure how you're going to pay for life and college and everything else. One of the students reminded me of this. When your parents have an illness, something big back home, or your grandparents, and that's going on at home, but you're called to be here, and you're like, I want to be home and care for my family and be with my family, but they don't want me to do that because that's going to shortchange my progress. So I'm here at Grand Valley, but I want to be home, and I'm just stuck, and I don't know what to do. When college is ending and you don't have a real good picture of what after college looks like, no jobs are coming. And when you're coming to Grand Valley and you were something in high school, whether you were the basketball stud or the volleyball stud at, and now you're here at Grand Valley and you don't do basketball or volleyball anymore, and now you're just you. You don't have a cool jersey anymore, whatever. And you're just like, what am I now? Who am I going to be? The Hebrews, like we are, are tempted to think maybe we, maybe the past wasn't bad, so bad after all. Maybe I should just go a different way. Maybe slavery was better than uncertainty. Here's the thing. These people, before they left Egypt, cried out daily, 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 God, hear our cries. We are being so oppressed. And now God has delivered them. And when deliverance comes, they didn't. understand what it looked like. And maybe that's true for you. As God's leading you out of some difficult things, you're a little confused about where to go, and that's okay, but what I want to tell you is keep going forward. God wants to lead you out of bondage. Let 
They were tempted to finger point. They were tempted to second guess. But the fact is that God had placed them in the exact spot. God had led them out to the wilderness. And sometimes God leads us into difficult places in order to accomplish a work in us. God performed a miracle with the Hebrews that would define him and his people forever. See, the Red Sea, the parting of the Red Sea, one of the most famous events in the Bible, is like a defining moment. God's people wouldn't be the same after, this, after they went through the water. And in the same way, we as Christians aren't the same when we go through the waters of baptism. We aren't the same. Our old self dies and our new self comes in the same way the way the Israelites were before this moment is different than when they're on the other side. I didn't say that as well in the first service, so tell your friends who are here. So they're all freaking out. Tempted to go back. Tempted to take control. But here's a cool thing. Here's Moses, in tune with God, and Moses teaches them how to respond. And he's going to teach us how to respond to the same kind of moments. In verse 13 of chapter 14, it says, Moses answered the people, Do not be afraid. Stand firm, and you will see the deliverance of the Lord that he will bring to you. The Egyptians that you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You only need to be still. Moses calls them back from all the chaos and all the activity and says, you've got to stand firm. You have to stand still. You need to slow down and you need to realize that God is going to fight for you. And in our battles, it's not up to us to fight. It's our job to follow. And sometimes we try and fight where God needs to fight for us. And we need to slow down long enough and pray or be still or just sit quietly or just be in a state of kind of... It doesn't mean you have to be physically still forever, but it means that you are in this kind of posture of expectant waiting saying, God, I need you to move and act in this situation. See, we have to trust that God only knows our situa- God not only knows our situation, but he knows the outcome and the ability to be still when everything in you or me is saying, do anything but be still. That's the essence of faith. When you say, I'm going to trust in God rather than in me. I'm going to trust in God's ways rather than my own pride and my own ability. So Moses says, hey, the Lord's going to fight for you. Can you do that? Can you leave your situation and say, God, I need you to pave the way, to provide a way through this situation. I'm not going to take it into my own hands. I'm going to be still long enough for God to provide a way. And then I'm going to move forward, as God says in the next verse. You see, in our scriptures, as God starts fighting for them, some really cool things happen. So let me 
go on from verse 15. It says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Why are you crying out to me? Tell the Israelites to move on. Raise your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea to divide the water so the Israelites can go through the sea on the dry ground. I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians so that they go in after them. And I will gain glory through Pharaoh and all of his army through his chariots and his horsemen. The Egyptians will know that I am the Lord when I gain glory through Pharaoh, his chariots, and his horsemen. And then the angel of God, who had been traveling in front of Israel's army, withdrew, and it went behind them. And the pillar of cloud also moved in from front and stood behind them, coming between the armies of Egypt and the armies of Israel. Throughout the night, the cloud brought darkness to the one side and light to the other side, so neither one went near the other all night long. This really cool thing happens. The, the, the pillar of cloud and the pillar of fire that had been leading them and guiding them now moves behind them and guards them from Pharaoh's army. God starts to reveal his signs and his provision and his protection to his people in this critical moment. And that's what God does to us. Now I'm going to pause a moment because we're at the juncture where I want to show a little video from a movie called The Prince of Egypt. Apparently it's on. Um, <laughs> from The Prince of Egypt to claim this moment. Sorry. <laughs> Isn't that awesome? All right. In your life groups, I put the link so you can watch the whole thing. <laughs> it's too long to watch the whole clip, but isn't that the coolest thing when that... <sighs> I love that. You know, it's hard to see why God's going to provide a way when you're in a dead-end moment. This summer, God got me to a dead-end moment. I've told some of you, I don't know all of, all of you yet, but this summer I, I uh, went into an intense season of wrestling like I've never been before. Only other time was when I was called here 20 years ago. And um, between my love for Grand Valley and serving the students and the love for the staff here, I was torn by my love for them and the ministry that God's doing here and this undeniable sense that God was saying, I'm calling you to something else. I'm calling you to something else. And I kept pleading with God, show me what it is. And it's coming right now. But in that moment, I decided, God, I have to be true and trust you that you're going to lead me out of this sort of dead-end place. And I'm walking into it right now where God's starting to reveal what's possible for my calling beyond Grand Valley, and I'm concluding my ministry here in December. It was hard. Still hard. I care for you guys a lot. And you've changed my life and changed my family's life, changed my kids' lives, all of you over the years for 20 years. But I've seen God start to do that. God is fighting for me that God is starting to show me and teach me what it looks like to stand in peace. And God's starting to show me the way to a new thing. And what I'm hoping is, is that me sharing my story will allow you, in wherever you're at, with your potential dead-end 
moment or your back's against the wall, you don't know what to do, that you can turn and trust and stand still before God and start walking where He leads you to go. Because it's worth it. God has life for you and life for me and God can carry you and provide for you and lead you and release you in ways that you would never imagine. And what God starts to do, as you saw, is God provided a way that they couldn't imagine. God takes care of their enemy in a way that no one would imagine that all the chariots would be swallowed up in the sea and all of Pharaoh's armies would be taken away. So let me read to you, because this is just really powerful. I want you to hear it from Scripture. This is Exodus 14. It says, Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and all that night the Lord drove back the sea with a strong east wind and turned it to dry land. The waters were divided, and the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground, not even wet with a wall of water on their right and a wall of water on their left. The Egyptians pursued them, and Pharaoh's horses and chariots followed them into the sea. During the last watch of the night, the Lord looked down from a pillar of fire and cloud at the Egyptian army and threw it into confusion. He jammed the wheels of their chariots so they had difficulty driving. And the Egyptians said, Let us get away from the Israelites. The Lord is fighting for them against Egypt. Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand over the sea so that the waters may flow back over the Egyptians and their chariots and their horsemen. Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and at daybreak the sea went back to its place. The Egyptians were fleeing toward it, and the Lord swept them into the sea. The water flowed back, and it covered the chariots and the horsemen. The entire army of Pharaoh that followed the Israelites into the sea, not one of them survived. But the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground with a wall of water on their right and left. And that day the Lord saved Israel from the hands of the Egyptians. And Israel saw the Egyptians lying dead on the shore. And when the Israelites saw the mighty hand of the Lord displayed against the Egyptians, the people feared the Lord. And they put their trust in him and in Moses, his servant. This is the word of the Lord. So this is an incredible miracle. Can you imagine like Lake Michigan splitting like that and then like going back? I'd be like, whoa. You'd be shocked, overwhelmed. Here's the thing I learned as I was preparing is that God wants to win the battles that you and I face, lead us through the moments in such a way that it provokes us to worship that we recognize that he is our Lord and our leader and our master and our savior. He wants us to respond with fear, like a reverence, like this awe, like, whoa, God, you are holy, holy, holy. And this belief and this confidence that God can do what he says he's going to do, that I can live on God's promises. You know, our dead-end moments can be defining moments for us. When God has us in a dead-end Red Sea moment, it requires a lot of prayer. Our deliverance isn't always going to come easily, quickly. I've never had like a piece of water split like that. 
I've never split a cup of soup like Jim Carrey does in the, you know. Our deliverance is not going to come quickly or easy, but it will come in such a way that God is glorified. It'll become a moment that sustains you through a lifetime of pain and a moment that can be celebrated in times of joy. It's okay to be afraid, but it's not over okay to let fear overtake your faith. When I think of this response of reverent fear, that's the feeling the Israelites had when they crossed through the middle of the Red Sea and they watched the sea swallow up the Egyptians behind them. They were thankful, but at the same time, they realized how different they were from this awesome, powerful God. They were convicted. And so tonight, as you are in your different back-against-the-wall dead-end moments, will you reflect on God's awesome power and might that God can speak into your situation? Praise him that he's sovereign, that he's great, and that he has incredible glory and splendor. And maybe you need to confess any sin that comes to mind and make a commitment to follow hard after him in a different way, to change an attitude or a lifestyle. But could you think and be inspired to worship God more fully, more completely surrender yourself to him, your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and give it to God? God brought 10 plagues to Egypt and eventually used the Red Sea to swallow up the army, all to show his glory. And he uses this story to remind us that he's always with us. He is our creator, he's our redeemer, he's our father, our master, and our friend. And the only thing I want to say to you as my fellow brothers and sisters in Christ is, this is new to you guys. I'm a little bit older than you. I may be a little better at it, but not much. But as you take these steps of faith into new life, I pray that you would let God lead you through those moments when you don't know where to go. We're going to keep learning about this in the next couple of weeks. But I want you to know that if you allow him, God will show you his power and his strength and his provision. What I want to do to close the service or to close my sermon is to allow you to just stand still or to sit still as a posture together and say, God, we need to sometimes stand still and let you work and let God win the battles that only he can win. And one of those battles was the wage, the battle against sin and death that he won so completely on the cross and by his resurrection. So I'm going to give you about 90 seconds of silence. And what I want you to do is, you don't even have to say anything. You don't have to pray. You don't have to just sit still and say whatever you need to say or just be still and allow God to speak to us all in the silence. Say, Lord, we don't have to control everything. We're going to give you this silence as an offering of praise. So I'm going to say a short phrase, prayer, and then we'll have that time.
Lord, we can't believe the way that you provided for the Hebrew people in such a miraculous, complete victory over Pharaoh and his armies. Help us apply that to our situations where everything seems so big and so overwhelming. And will you hear our silence as we wait for you? Lord, you have the power and the love and the grace to meet us where we need you. We don't need to be a slave to anything anymore. And just like you set God's people free in the book of Exodus, we pray that you would lead us to new life in Christ. We claim your power and your provision and your free gift of grace through faith that you freely offer to us. Pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.